Welcome to In the Know by Diane Schindler. This is Diane Schindler speaking. I'm the host of In the Know, the podcast show. I'm an author, a presenter, a solo nomad, a travel blogger, and a photographer. So this podcast show includes writing tips, travel tips, and my views of life from savvy and thoughtful to quirky and humorous. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to In the Know. We have a very special guest today, Vic DeGenti. Vic is the award-winning author of six novels and six works of nonfiction. His novels include the Wind, yes. Wind Rusher trilogy of adventure fantasies featuring a four-legged feline protagonist. Can't wait to hear more about that. And the Quint Mitchell mystery series published under the pen name of Parker Francis. He also penned biographies for two World War II veterans and written four and has written four other personal biographies plus a family history. As a working author and publisher, and his publication company is entitled Wind Rusher Hall Press. Besides all of that, he has taught writing classes at the University of North Florida and workshops at numerous writers' conferences throughout Florida and as well as other states. He's a longtime Florida Writers Association member, that's FWA member, and a former executive vice president of the FWA board. He lives and works in Ponte Vedra Beach with his wife and his two cats at the moment, he says. I'm going to ask him what that means at the moment. And their names are Yogi and Olaf. What does that mean, Vic? And welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you, Diane. I appreciate your invitation to uh, talk with you and your listeners. Uh, at the moment, is that what you're asking about? Yeah. What, you have two cats at the moment. You're going to acquire more. Well, a lot of that is out of my hands. Uh, my wife is an ultra animal lover. And through the years, uh, she counted up over 30 years, we've had 17 cats. Oh, my gosh. And uh, all of our cats are rescued. And unlike other people who let their cats run indoors and outdoors, once we rescue them, they're now housebound cats. So she had an eye, her eye on a cat that we've been feeding in the backyard. But unfortunately, that cat had feline aid, so mm. he was unable to come into our home. But I'm sure another one will come along one yeah. of these days. So it's ongoing. That's really, actually, that's very sweet. So as I've mentioned in your biography, you've, you have had a diverse and creative career over the years. Now, tell us a little about your background and how you found your, your way to writing. Well, going back to the beginning, uh, I've been a Floridian for most of my life. I grew up in Fort Lauderdale, attended the University of Florida, and uh, majored in telecommunications. And uh, I was fortunate to uh, follow my major and had a career in broadcasting and worked both in commercial radio and television before I ended up at WJCT, which is the uh, public broadcasting stations, uh, TV and radio in Jacksonville. And that's where I spent uh, over 30 years of my career, actually. And where, where I like to say I did almost everything except wash windows, although I can't swear to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm getting a little intimidated now that I know your background in broadcasting. So I, I really appreciate your being on my show. But, and I interrupted you, but how did you find then your way to writing? Well, I think everyone has a special talent. 
when I was in high school, I saw the jocks, the great basketball and football players, and there were people that were terrific dancers and artists, and I couldn't do any of that, but I could string words together on the page, and so I like to think writing is in my DNA, and I've always considered myself a writer, and I, I guess it was sort of reinforced because in the sixth grade, I came in second in an essay contest that the uh, one of the local American Legion posts uh, had in the various uh, middle schools throughout our area. So, And I went on from there, and long before I began writing novels, I was doing freelancing. I was writing profiles for Florida Trend mag Business Magazine. For 10 years, I wrote a humor column for a community newspaper here at the beach. During, all during that time, I tried to sell a variety of rather mediocre sh short stories. And mm -hmm. did all of this while I was still working at WJCT. And when I retired, I decided, well, it's time to get serious about this. I'd always wanted to write novels, write long-form fiction, and I want to see if I could actually do it. And that's when I turned my attention to writing the first Windrusher novel, which is, I call Adventure Fantasies. And as you mentioned, the cat, four-legged feline, is the protagonist. And I've told you a little bit about our uh, animal rescue house here, uh -huh. so you can see how maybe that played into it. It gives you a good idea how writer's journey starts and why I said writing is uh, really a part of my DNA. Well, how long ago did you retire? I retired about 14 years ago. Maybe actually a little more. It's hard to keep up. Seems like I've been working out of this little office for so long. But And I started doing that, doing my writing, as I said, right away. And it took me about six months working full time to, to complete my first Windrusher manuscript. And then I worked on it probably another eight months or so, really revising and, and rewriting before I felt it was ready to be uh, published. Actually, that's not very long. You were on to knowing what to do already, though. Actually, I had started writing this book when I was still working. Uh, um, at the time, probably 10 years before I retired, I started writing. I wrote three or four chapters, and, and uh, then I got really busy. One of my major roles at JCT in, in the latter years was producer of the Jacksonville Jazz Festival. This was taking more and more of my time. And so I kind of pushed this uh, uh, incipient novel, if you will, to the side and, and forgot about it. But after I retired, I pulled out these pages and read over it and realized it was really bad. <laughs> oh, I was going to, I thought you were going to say, boy, I read over it and I thought, wow, I have talent. It, it was the opposite. Yep. And uh, so what I did is pretty much threw it out and, and I sat down and rethought it and, and did a pretty thorough outline. I'm one of those people, you, you know, about the pantsers and the outliners. Yes. I, I was uh, an outliner then and I'm glad I did. I spent a lot of time thinking about and rewriting it. And so at that point, it came together very well. And as I said, the first draft took about six months and uh, I was happy with the way it ended up because it was accepted very well, even though I ended up self-publishing it. I, it had very good sales and, and then I found a small publisher who published my next two Windrusher books in that trilogy and also picked up the rights to the first book. So all three of those books were traditionally published.
happen to know that you've spent a lot of time helping other would-be writers through their Florida Writers Association with writing workshops and spending time and donating your time as a volunteer with other organizations. So obviously you have a passion for that. Can you tell us about that? Well, as, as I was uh, thinking about my writing journey, I realized there was a lot to learn. And I joined the Florida Writers Association, I believe it was 18 years ago. And that was the first year after it was founded. And I, I wanted to learn how to be a better writer. I, I knew I didn't have all the answers. Uh, I'd, I've been a reader all my life. I think that's a big part of writing is mm-hmm. to read as much as you can. And I started attending some of the group meetings. Or one of the group meetings, there was one that started not too long after that here in Ponte Beach Beach. Uh, but for the first year or so, I was having to go uh, to downtown Jacksonville. But I was amazed how open and encouraging uh, some of the veteran authors were. And after I attended my first co- writer's conference there, uh, I was even more impressed. FWA's motto is writers helping writers. And, and I found out that that was really true. And I'm one of those people who believe there's no need to reinvent the wheel when you can learn from people who, who've already achieved a certain level of professionalism and they're willing to share that, that knowledge. And that's mm-hmm. what I found with FWA. And then uh, a few years ago, the not a few years after, to that I had to I stepped up and I volunteered to lead the Ponte Vedra Beach writers group that I'd been attending when the former leader of that group unexpectedly quit and, and that was about 15 years ago and I'm still leading that group and along the way I was tapped to be the regional director for Northeast Florida for FWA and I basically I'm supposed to oversee the groups that are here and help grow uh, FWA's presence and when I first took it over as as regional director we only had had two writers groups in the area, one in downtown Jacksonville and uh, the one that I was leading in Ponte Vedra Beach. And since then, uh, very shortly after that, I added one in St. Augustine, one in Orange Park, and another in Fernandina Beach. So uh, we have a really good uh, role to play here in the Northeast Florida area. And, and I find there are a lot of writers uh, since I've been doing this. I probably have six or 700 names in my distribution wow. list of people who have attended our different different meetings. And also I've served two terms as a board member of FWA. And the last time was a two-year term in 2017 and 18. I was appointed executive vice president and also was faculty chair for the annual Florida Writers Conference. That's a big deal. Well, we appreciate your commitment for sure. And I've attended a couple of meetings in Ponte Vedra and they always go well. another question for you. You know, your writing, as I can see, has gone through some changes, starting with a series of novels featuring your feline protagonist and moving then into uh, mystery thrillers and even nonfiction. Can you tell us how that has occurred? Well, as we've been talking about the the Windrusher trilogy, uh, I I wrote that first book, which was titled Windrusher, thinking I was writing a book for adult cat lovers. And, uh, and it certainly has had its share of adult readers, but I soon found out that a lot of younger readers uh, in the middle grade on up hooked on the adventures of 
my uh, fearless feline. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I continued that with the two others in that series. And as I was writing the last in that series, I had an idea for a, a hard-boiled mystery novel with a private detective as the protagonist. And it turns out that in that Windrusher book, which was titled Windrusher and the Trail of Fire, there was a detective that played a part in that. Actually, I'm sorry, it was in the second book that that detective played the, played the part. And uh, I kind of sketched out the idea and I put that aside. But after I wrote the last uh, Windrusher book, I started on, on the uh, detective book, uh, worked on that, completed that manuscript in late 2007 or 2008. That book, which uh, ended up the title Matanzas Bay, won a couple of writing contests uh, which amazed me since it was my first mystery novel. And one of the, the awards it won was the 2008 Royal Palm Literary Awards Book of the Year for Wow, congratulations novels. on that. Yeah, that, that was great. That became the first of my three Quint Mitchell mysteries. And, and I continued writing uh, those, and I can tell you about those later if you want. But the, you mentioned not writing nonfiction. That that was an interesting turn in my, my writing career and uh, rather dramatic turn too. About four years ago, I'd been in an investment club with a group of men. One of them was a man named Martin Olson. And Martin was older than all of us. He was a World War II veteran. And he knew I was a writer. And and every time we'd meet, which was once a month, he would tell me about how he was trying to write his biography and and some of his uh, experiences during his life. Well, when, when the investment club disbanded. I hadn't heard from from Marty in a while, and he actually came to one of these writers group meetings in Ponte Vedra Beach. And after the meeting, he cornered me, and uh, in his hand, he had a a three-ring binder. And he started telling me uh, he'd gone just about as far as he could with with this biography. Mm -hmm. He knew he wasn't a writer. He didn't know what to do with it. He said, "Uh, I'm getting too old now, and I'd really like to see this published. And Marty, I think, was nearly 90 at the time. So you, so you took it on and boy, did you have to write fast, huh? Yeah, I, I guess so. But uh, he handed me this and asked me to evaluate it. And I went through it and I found that he kind of sketched out his life pretty well and some of his wartime ex- and business experiences. And there were a lot of sections that were crossed out and I found out he'd used three different typists. He had about 100 pages there and obviously needed a lot of work to pull it together into mm-hmm. a readable book. And so what I did is wrote two pages in an evaluation telling him what I thought he needed to do, the areas that needed to be expanded or revised. And actually gave him a, a suggested chapter list for it. And I gave it to him and I heard from him a couple of days later saying, Vic, this is just what I need. Thank you so much. Why don't you write it for me? <laughs> And yeah, we came to an agreement and I didn't think I'd, I'd want to do it. But, you know, knowing Marty and, and the help he needed, I decided to go ahead and do that. That's how it started. And since then, I've, as you mentioned, I've written, actually, I've just finished my seventh biography. They've been all just amazing. I love the research and getting to know these people who have had remarkable lives. Marty's book, which the first one I wrote was titled, We Were Amateur Soldiers, How the Great Generation changed the face of America. 
Wow, that's compelling title. Yeah, he really believed not only that this was the greatest generation, as the Tom Brokaw book was titled, mm -hmm. but he believed the great generation were not only the folks that served in the military to help win the war, but everybody back home as well. And that everything that came together after the war really changed the face of America in terms of, of uh, our productivity and, and where the nation moved after that. Well, that's so good that you were able to capture his personal story, but it also sounds to me like it banned out and include philosophy and, and nationalism, I guess, for lack of a better term. Yeah, Marty was a man, he, and, and unfortunately he passed away uh, two years ago. He was a man of strong opinions, and he wanted those opinions shared. He had strong opinions about uh, education and politics and, and all sorts of things. But he was a very successful businessman. After the war, he took over his father's small machine shop business and grew it into a large national leader. He sold that to uh, one of the big multinationals took his money and he and his wife moved from Long Island to uh, Ponte Vedra Beach, which is where I got to know him, of course. Uh, but I, I would never have thought that that single writing job would change my life that way and I would get to work with so many other great people. Boy, those, that sounds like those would be a great series on Netflix, for example. Some of them could be very well. Most of them, though, five of the seven have been written as personal stories. They, not for public consumption, not, consumption not, right, necessarily. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they're for family and for friends. Now, Marty's and one other, they wanted them available for uh, people to be able to purchase. So the other one is the, the life story of a, a great musician that I know here in the Jacksonville area, jazz musician, and his book was called uh, Music is My Ticket, The Musical Life of Bill Prince. He took his, mm. his music and he traveled all over the world with it, and he had quite a story to tell as well. So both of those books, as well as all my fiction, are available on Amazon.com. Yeah, we'll have the, um, the links in the program notes so that the audience doesn't have to worry about jotting this down. It warms my heart, Vic, when you tell me what you're doing about these nonfiction sort of biographies where you're telling these stories for these people. It's good service to the person, to his or her family. And for public consumption, I think it's a good service for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, then let me ask you, what was the last work of fiction that you published? And um, I guess you used a pen name. And why did you use a pen name for these books? <laughs> Well, uh, after I wrote the three Windrusher books, which I said had a, a younger audience as well, as well as an adult audience, I started writing the Quint Mitchell Mystery Series. And, and the last in that series was titled uh, Hurricane Island. And the first book, as I mentioned, Matanzas Bay. And what, when I introduced my character, we found out that Quint not only was a private detective and he was based in Jacksonville Beach, but he had a, a strong interest in archaeology, uh, which he took a couple of courses when he was in college. And one of his good friends in Matanzas Bay was the city archaeologist of St. Augustine. And that book starts out with him helping his, his friend, Dr. Poe, in a survey downtown. And I actually did some research and attended one of the uh, surveys. And, and this was the one that I wrote up in chapter one. And in that, that chapter ends with him digging up not a, an ancient work or uh, artifact, but uh, the body of St. Augustine's vice mayor. 
Ooh. So uh, his his friend Poe is arrested for the murder, and Quint, during the book, is uh, determined to find the killer. In the second series, I move Quint to a small town in South Carolina on behalf of a client, and he's on the trail of the heartthrob bandit, mm-hmm. who is a con man who preys on wealthy elderly women. Then the third book, Hurricane Island, uh, there's kidnapping and murder and drug dealing, etc. In that, so so these three books were definitely adult book. There's violence and a little sex in all of them. So I didn't want any confusion with my younger readers of the Windrusher novel, which is why I decided I'd use a pen name for those, uh, Parker Francis. Mm-hmm. And that's worked well for you. It hasn't been confusing because I know some people tell me that they have chosen a pen name and they sort of regret it, but perhaps it is your purpose that makes it work for you. You wanted to separate the young writers from this more adult genre. Yeah, I think it, I think it's worked well. It's given me a different audience, although some of my adult readers from Windrusher followed me over as well. So I used to do a lot more marketing and promotion than I than I do now since I'm working with uh, private individuals. I haven't really done a whole lot. So so I was able to let people know that I was making this transition for the uh, Quint Mitchell books. Well, tell us about that last Quint Mitchell mystery, the Hurricane Island. Well, Hurricane Island is set in Cedar Key on the Gulf Coast. Have you been over there? I have not. It's a, uh, I think they build themselves as the town that time forgot. It's it's an old fishing village, but it's also a bit of a tourist town as well. And I had been there a couple of times. Where is it? Is it near Tampa? Where is it on? It's it's, uh, much further north. If you go across toward where uh, Gainesville is and, and just keep going west, you'll probably run into it. So it's more in the the northern section of the state. I see, I see. I've been there with my wife on a couple of occasions, and, and I, I had commented one time that this would be a great setting for a book, and, and I was just co- trying to come up with an idea. I think at some point I read about how many hurricanes had hit that that uh, section of the state. I formed formulated a story around that. And in this book, Quint and his girlfriend are visiting Cedar Key at the invitation of an old Navy buddy who was a former Atlanta police detective, and he He's now working as a fishing boat charter captain in Cedar Key. Now, they go over there thinking it's going to be a really enjoyable weekend and maybe a little fishing with, with his buddy and walking on the beach and watching the sunset over the Gulf, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, that's not what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, Quint's girlfriend and his buddy's wife are kidnapped, and we learn that in chapter two, and, and from then on, they're dealing with incompetent law officials and chasing down leads, trying to find their loved ones. The course of the story, they battle a vicious drug dealer. They try and find the murderer. There are ghosts from the past that I throw in for his buddy, Woody. And if that's not enough, there's a Category 3 hurricane bearing down on the oh island. Oh, boy. So, hence the title, Hurricane Island. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is probably the fastest paced of my three books. Uh, all the action in Hurricane Island takes place in 24 hours. Oh, boy. Well, you have a streak, Vic. Uh, I mean, you have this wonderful view of felines, and then you have this streak. Yep. So that's pretty interesting. Another sort of an alternative ego. So 
I'm going to go back to the biographies for a minute. You did explain how you got started writing biographies, but I know now I hear a lot, a lot of people are interested in writing their memoir. Do you find that there, there's a lot of people interested in that or writing, their, writing a biography or an autobiography? There's an amazing number of people that are either doing this or planning to do it. Every time at our writers groups, if I bring in a memoir writer or the subject is writing a memoir, the room is packed. There are a lot of people that are, as I said, want to write their biography or are doing it right now. And I applaud them for that because most of us really never got around to asking our parents or our grandparents about the details of their life. And much of that important family connection is is lost when our loved ones pass away. So it's important to start early and learn about your family history. And as I said, some people have had extraordinary experiences, both good and bad, and that's important to put in there, both the good and the bad when you're Mm -hmm. writing your autobiography or your memoir. And they want to either share it with a wider audience or just simply, as I mentioned, pass it around, pass it along to friends and family. And writing these books can also be a cathartic uh, experience. Uh, It can be healing and and transformative as, as they get these experiences is out on the page. But it's not an easy thing to do, which is why some people turn to professional writers to help them document their lives. I'm curious to know your opinion about this. I had a sense, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I had a sense a few years ago that memoir was not interesting to anyone. I mean, it wasn't anything that publishers were interested in writing. And then I, the genre kind of morphed a little bit because it was not only, gee, this was my life, but gee, this was my life and this was the struggle. And so the memoir genre took on, in some respects, this notion of excruciating pain that I think you referenced. Um, it's kind of like a coming of age memoir, although a memoir with a coming of age twist to it. Could you comment on that? Are you? No, I, I think you're, you're absolutely right. Memoir really has uh, exploded in, in recent years. But what I tell a number of, of people is not to expect huge sales from memoir unless they've had extraordinary uh, life experiences that resonate with a, a general audience. Uh, Most of the best-selling memoirs are celebrity memoirs, but Mm -hmm. uh, every now and then you'll get some that really take off. There have been a number uh, that have been made into movies, so it's a matter of really hitting it right. But it doesn't mean even if they've had a more ordinary life that they shouldn't go ahead and attempt to write their memoir. What I tell people is they have to keep in mind the reader. Essentially, memoirs have to tell a good story. And the first thing I also suggest is they decide what they're trying, what the, what kind of story they're telling. A memoir is not an autobiography, which takes a, a broader view of an individual's entire lifespan in a usually in a chronological order. While a memoir focuses on a partic- particular part of that person's life, and, and they can use that to delve deeper and share a more dramatic aspect of their life. And these tend to be uh, to read more like novels. They use techniques of creative nonfiction. Once this decision is made to write a memoir, I tell them to write a timeline of their life or the period they're writing about and include mm-hmm. everything that's happened, all the major highs and lows. And because it's amazing how often you'll go back to that as you're writing. I, I do that with every one of the biographies I write. Uh, so I can keep things in order. I'm thinking about some of the really successful 
books that are memoirs is Eat, Pray, Love, I think was considered right, right. a memoir There's that was... The one on the, uh, the Pacific Trail, what was the name of that? Uh, Reese Witherspoon. Yes, I was thinking about that. Wild. Yes, I was in San Miguel de Ende, Mexico. Gosh, I don't know how long ago this was. It had just been released and was a bestseller. And the author was at this conference and spoke. So that's when I kind of got this notion of um, the change in memoirs as we, as we have just discussed. And I really like the idea of your saying, well, this is a one part. It's more of a slice of life. And they, they tend to have universal appeal. Whatever you learn from that experience applies universally to people as well. Very interesting to me. Someone approached me about doing a coming-of-age memoir, but I have so much on my plate. And sometimes it's too close. You know, you probably can tell us about that too. The person who is involved, the person who the memoir is about is often too close to the story to be, be able to step back and tell it in a, in a way that, uh, that is objective. I think that's a part of it as well. Also, they may not be able to tell it. They, they think they have it all in their head. And once they start writing, I've talked to a number of people who get to about 25 to 50 pages and then totally give up. They're not quite sure how to get a handle. It's like herding cats, you know. There's so, mm-hmm. so much <laughs> good, that's a good choice of words. Yeah, good an- metaphor yeah. there. And they can be too close to it as well. And, and a lot of people, they've gone through some very agonizing experience. It might be childhood abuse or problems with a dysfunctional family, and, and they really don't know how to handle it, deal with other people in their family who might take umbrage of, of what they're right. writing. So they, they need to step back from it. And some of these people step back a couple of years before they attack it again. Yeah, it's fraught with pitfalls, I would think. But if, mm-hmm. you, can, if you can find somebody to help you through that, it seems to me that if you got a good story, it would really be worth your while just for you personally to write it. I think so. ask you so for the past four years you're you've been in this nonfiction field do you do you think you'll go back to fiction again that's a good question diane uh, i certainly hope so and actually i have in a smaller way I, i'm kind of in between projects right now and as you know we're we're housebound mm-hmm. uh, so i pulled out a short story that i began several years ago just to try to get my hand back into it i tried to complete it and I did complete it. Now, I'm not totally happy with it, so I'm, I'm going to do more work on it. Right before I'd started on Marty's book, I uh, began a standalone novel that wasn't part of the Quint Mitchell series. It was uh, set in the near future. I wrote about almost a third of that book. Once I started on these biographies, one after another kept coming, and I never got back to that book. So I'm going to pull that piece of a novel out now and see if there's any life in the old thing and if I can get back into it. I'm also waiting to hear from another potential biographer who uh, who's, has told me in, on more than one occasion that they're going to, to do, work with me on this. So, But I, you know, things have kind of been up in the air in the last month. Mm-hmm. We didn't plan on my asking you this question, but I'm compelled to ask you if you think that your work with these biographies, with these memoirs, with these nonfiction will have perhaps a positive effect on your fiction writing. 
Did I throw you for a loop? No, no, not necessarily. Uh, probably so. I mean, uh, they both share the characteristics, hopefully, of good writing. And what I try to do to make uh, the nonfiction more readable is to use some of the techniques from fiction to make it uh, more appealing to the reader. Uh, you throw in dialogue where you can. Mm -hmm. uh, you describe settings. You know, di different techniques of, of fiction also apply to uh, to writing biography or memoir. So that that certainly makes it uh, of a readable book. Uh, you want a page turner. You don't want someone to read the first page or first chapter and say, "Yeah, this isn't worth my time." So. Uh, that's that's one of the problems a lot of people have when they're writing it themselves. They they just just aren't able to capture the uh, spirit of, of what they're what they're trying to write and and make it a story that comes alive to the reader. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm not sure. Once I start back on that novel, we'll see if I have to relearn how to write. I uh, doubt I that. I doubt that. <laughs> well, how are you reaching out to people? Because I know you are really enjoying writing these biographies and helping people write their stories. How are you reaching out to people? About well, a lot this. of it has been word of mouth and one people, one person telling another about it. Mm -hmm. uh, after I read, wrote Marty's book, I was still pretty well plugged into uh, the marketing angle and, and I knew a number of uh, news people from, from my time working uh, in, in public TV. So I, I touched base with a couple of them. And I got a really nice story in both the Beaches Leader, one other newspaper. It might have been the Shorelines, which is the Beaches edition of the Florida Times Union. Mm -hmm. I heard from another World War II vet, and he was uh, asked me to write his. So that that would be my second book. Then. Uh, before I was able to uh, do some searching for another prospect, I had a phone call from a woman that I knew that lived uh, not too far from us. She called me and she actually didn't know I was doing this, but she knew I had written the Windrusher books because her husband was a big cat lover. In fact, they both were, and they'd read the books. She said her husband, who was, I think, 80 years old at the time and had just gone through a major medical crisis, she said they would like to get his life story written and did I know anybody that did that sort of thing and <laughs> as it turned out I did we came to agreement I wrote his and then further down after two other books she called me back and said she would like me to write her family history on her side of the family both of her grandparents uh, were uh, immigrants one from Sweden and one from Denmark came over here didn't know any English didn't have any money and proceeded to raise some generations of successful people. So she didn't think a lot of her cousins and other relatives knew this story. So this was a particularly interesting challenge because, of course, the grandparents were dead, and I had to do a lot of research, and I did a lot of interviews with cousins, and uh, I probably did 10 hours of interviews with each of them to pull that all together. But it turned out very well, and she's talked me up to a lot of Has her she? friends. <laughs> keeps telling her, telling them that they should really get with me. And, yeah. and one in particular looks like they might do it. Well, how can people contact you if they're interested in your helping them write their memoir? They can contact me uh, through my uh, my email, one of my emails anyway. Uh, mm -hmm. I also have a Facebook page and th they can go on that and message me. Well, this has been such a treat. I'm glad that you found the time to spend 
an hour or so with me. Oh, you're quite welcome, Diane. It's kind of took my mind off what's going on around us. So as we're sheltering at home, I was happy to talk to you and your listeners. It is um interesting time, isn't it? I'm hunkered down. I hope you're hunkered down. Certainly am. I Just, feel like I'm in the middle of a dystopian novel here. Yeah, I feel like I'm in a science fiction movie. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those movies? You're probably too young. I think it's called like the day after the last day on earth or something like that. The day after tomorrow. Yeah, the day after tomorrow. That's right. And it would be, it was in black and white and, you know, people walk down the street and there would be nothing except wind and dust blowing in the wind. And finally two people met a man and a woman and they survived. And then the next day, the sight that you would see as they were walking over this mountain with the blue sky and the sun shining. Thank you so much, Vic, for telling us about your DNA, your Windrusher books, the hard-boiled Quint Mitchell mystery series, and the wonderful work you're doing to help people with their memoirs. It's been a great treat. Thank you so much. Thank you, Diane. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening. If you would like to support In the Know, you can do so by subscribing and sharing In the Know with your family and friends. You can like this episode. You can leave a comment and even add a rating. Your support is very important to our success. And thank you so much for listening. See you next time on In the Know.